morning, which is great, and uh, as, as God is working. And uh, bless that man. Ever wonder what the flags are about? No one ever talks into stuff like that, do they? Let's talk about flags for a moment. Because you may have noticed, we, do, we, we don't mind having a bit of flag waving in church. And um, I, I, years ago, I was not a flag guy. I've got to tell you, I was not a flag guy. I couldn't see the sense of that until it was explained to me. Well, before that, I think I had an experience where the, 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 a ministry of someone who understood um, the idea of God's banners and cooperating prophetically with the Holy Spirit explained it to me. Uh, then I thought that this can be an incredibly powerful thing. In the West, we're so clinical and dry. We don't like anyone upsetting the order of things. Anyone saying Yahoo or, or flags. We don't like that sort of stuff normally. But I'm quite great with that. I think let's let the Spirit work in us. But what I discovered about there are certain aspects. As Christians, we're called to bring heaven to earth, to release what God is doing, to sow on earth what's being sown in heaven and so on. And so that, that's a cooperation aspect. But we as his people are a prophetic people. We don't need to be capital P prophets. We can be a whole prophetic community where we hear the voice of God together. But part of that action is to, is to in sometimes have a physical manifestation of what we sense God is saying in the spiritual. And often with these flags, what I've come to learn is uh, the flags will often have, uh, there'll be certain colours or depictions. Some will represent the blood of Christ or the, the power of his Holy Spirit, the breath of God and so on. And if the Lord in heaven, as he joins with us in this synergy of faith that happens just when God's people get together. There are things that can happen here. This is a non-downloadable environment, I call it. You won't get this online. God's Spirit is here with us. And as, as one and one comes, it's more than two. It's the God's Spirit comes. And as we, the more that come, the more His Spirit just loves to be with His people. And our role at times is to cooperate with what He's releasing over His people that you won't necessarily find out in the street. His Spirit will work powerfully, but in a different way out there. You won't be waving flags on the street. But we find that if the Lord is releasing a new breath of the wind of his spirit into your life, sometimes someone will feel prompted to wave a flag and usher that in physically to remind us we can see here's what God is releasing and we in our hearts can lean into that and cooperate. And I've seen, I've seen powerful healings of people's bodies. I've seen people released in the Holy Spirit. I've seen the gifts of the Spirit released when people recognise yes and amen. This is what God is doing and I'm in agreement with that. So don't allow it to be something that just distracts you. Let it prompt you to say, God may well be speaking to us together or to me right now. Lord, what are you saying to me? And cooperate with that. You know, years ago, before we started this church, and um, if you're new here, we've, we've only been going a few years. Um, but I've always been a sort of person, I want, to, I want to see God's last commands be our first priority. That we, that we don't just play church. We're... Christianity isn't just something that we add onto our life in an awkward sort of, how do we do this awkward Christian thing while I'm living in a material world and following my ambitions and so on. That we get beyond that and we say, what if, we, what if it wasn't just part of our life? What if Christianity was our life? What if we actually read the Gospels and the book of Acts and we said, that has not stopped, that book has not closed, we, can, we still live that same calling and the mandates that were put upon us are at least as, as relevant now as they were back then. What would happen if we could focus a church on that? And over the years, that message is refined, but I've been in ministry now 20 years and the message hasn't changed, but it has grown. I admit it has grown. At first, it started to be a formational message and, and I talk a lot about forming the heart. Then it progressed as we saw the power of God's Spirit work in ways that, that the O'Leary's here have shared where 
We can be good religious people and we can be doing the things faithfully but not fruitfully and we learn how to live from God, not just for God, faithfully. That this is a game changer. And so the, the message evolved from being one of just formation to being one of fruitfulness as well. But added to that now, as I saw over the years, and I've spoken into this over recent weeks, where churches, we get a bit enamoured with ourselves. It becomes about our church. We lose this kingdom mindset, which is wild, which is free, which knows no limits to its growth, which is completely scalable. It's not constrained by buildings and budgets. It can use them, but it doesn't need them. What if we sowed into a vision and tapped into what God was doing there and allowed ourselves to be part of something greater than we've ever seen, greater than we could ever do on our own, the greatest endeavour the world has ever seen, the kingdom of God manifested through his people, his kingdom people. What if we put all our chips on one number? And that number for me has been growing. It started out small, if you, if you like, but, but it's gone from formation to fruitfulness. Now it's saying, what if we blew the lid off this thing? What if we st stopped growing each other and getting, and getting happy together? And what if we just said, let's blow the lid because we get frustrated and we get constrained by ourselves and the size of our buildings and budgets and such. And we just find ourselves, well, now we get a bit bored and what are we gonna do? And maybe I'll just come to church once a month because it doesn't make any difference anyway. What if we just blew that apart? What if we blew the spiritual walls off a church and said, Christ is first, his, his last command is my first priority and I, go, I actually go out and, and alter my whole life around those definitions. It's, it's, it scares you but excites you at the same time, doesn't it? Your sort of heart goes up and you go, I wanna be part of that but can I do it tomorrow sort of thing, you know, not today. And I understand that tension because it gets us out of our comfort zone and we're such an, an incredibly comfortable society that the thing we need to worry about most is our own progression in life. Many societies have never had that privilege, but once you have a privilege, you don't wanna let it go. And so the conversation that we've begun now for a few months is, well, how do we blow the lid off this thing without blowing up God's people? Because it's easy for someone like me to say, okay, we're supposed to be out there sharing the gospel with our neighbour. Let's not do church this Sunday. Church is off, let's go and do that. That's not actually a very smart thing to do, we found because you can't give from what you haven't got. And if you're not being fueled, you can't be on mission. And so we started this church with a very simple mantra that we said last week, filling hearts, fueling mission. And the mission is the end game. But that, but that one number that we put all our chips on is not just going, it's being filled of our heart, being fueled by Christ enough to the point where it overflows and it must overflow into the world. So you're either being fueled or you're being sent. Maybe both at once. Hopefully that river just keeps flowing in your life. But I'm, I want to rattle our cage a little bit with this because we'll all get excited and say, let's do that as a church. But what I'm bringing it back down to now is, okay, it's, it's, if it's going to get done, it's one-on-one. -on -one. The church, this building will not change the world. You will change the world one person at a time and one of us doing it at a time. And so this is where it gets a little bit threatening. But I don't know, I've got literally, and it's nothing new, I've got nothing else to do with my life but to do this. And I, but not because I'm a pastor. That's why I'm a pastor, I think. <laughs> but I think the, the agenda for that lays upon all of us. But most of us say, well, I just don't know what to do. What's my, what's my next step? I've got a complicated life and I've got a mortgage to pay and, I, and, and all this stuff to do. How do I integrate that in? Or how do I integrate that into this mission? 
And so what we want to do is give you some tools and some uh, different things to help you along with that. And so this conversation that we're on is not one that I want to bring that's going to bring a burden to you. Um, in the past, where we've talked about sharing our faith, for example, I know in years gone past, we used to, here's a, here's a little card for you, and we want you to sign that as a covenant to commit that you're going to go out and share the gospel once a week or once a month or something. And now we just bring guilt into it, don't we? Now it's just, okay, now it's just another burden on our life. So I don't want to do that. It's just not wise to do that. And not everyone can do all of that all the time. But some of us here are early adopters and want to get straight into it. Some of us have got the capacity to do it and we just want to go. It's our heart. Others, it's going to be a journey. But what I would encourage is if you're not there, you're not ready, it's not you because your heart's not full yet, then let's help you get your heart full. Even if you've done uh, the courses, reform, refocus, refresh, whatever one you want to do, do them again because um, there's a spiritual retreat, there's a chance every week to get prayer, to be full of the Holy Spirit, to exercise your gifts in the Spirit. All that stuff goes on. You just can't get topped up enough. There's no way you, you can give from what you haven't got. You can only reproduce who you are. If you don't know freedom, you can't give freedom away. If you don't know your calling, you can't help someone else find theirs. And so... Either commit to going out or commit to filling your heart, but, but let's make a move. Let's, let's make our steps together because God wants us to be about something that's going to change the world because it really does need changing. And so last week we began a series called Bless, B-L-E-S-S, and the first one was dodgy because number B was prayer. So we had to say, <laughs> be praying because <laughs> bless, bless just doesn't do it, how to bless your neighbour. So we've gone with B, uh, be praying. And, but this strategy, we, we, we anchored it in Genesis 12, 2 to 3, where, where uh, in the New Testament, Paul reflects on this passage saying, this was the gospel revealed to Abraham. And it says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so this strategy that God has for blessing is really like the, the vehicle of the gospel, that we are a blessing to the world. And so last week we looked at being in prayer, and so you can look at last week's message online uh, to catch up with that. And I hope you had a wild time guessing what the rest of them are. I've got the little icons there. Um, a few have got it right, a few have got it really wrong, uh, what the other letters will be. But the second one is L for listen. Who figured that out before we put the slide up? One and a half people did that. <laughs> That's what I was hoping. Listening. But can I get a better icon than an ear? The funny thing about Christians is we're not really known uh, for listening. We're sort of better at telling people, aren't we? It's like, mate, we know the way the world's supposed to go around and here's how you, and out comes the digit, out comes the finger instead of out coming the ear. And we all know that there are times when people mishear you Completely, they mishear Christianity, they miss the agenda. Have you ever misheard a lyric in a, in a song? They've got a name for this. Mondegreen moments. Mondegreen moments. It's a moment where you think you've heard something, but you've actually not heard it. I get this normally every week in a message where someone says, great when you said blah, 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 blah. And I think, I really didn't say that. And I, and I, checked, the, I checked the tape and I, and I didn't say that. But what they heard was really good. So I'll take credit, not a problem. But um, no, I don't take credit. Um, but these Mondegreen moments, I grew up really enjoying Mondegreen moments with songs. Have you ever heard a song, someone sing a song and they annihilate it, like Benny and the Jets? How many different ways are there to sing Benny and the Jets? And I reckon the, the way they misinterpret it says more about them than it does about the song. 
Now, there's a great song by Bon Jovi. All of us uh, Gen Xers will know uh, Living on a Prayer. Remember that song? Doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. The most common misinterpretation of that is doesn't make a difference if we're naked or not. (laughs) More people sing that than they sing the other, apparently, which says a lot about them. A lot of people doesn't make a difference whether they're naked or not. That's okay. Do it at home. I used to love uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. There's a bad moon on the rise, you know. Ever, there's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> a lot of people genuinely think that's what they're saying. There's a bathroom on the right, because that needs to be in the middle of a song like that. Whatever. And there's some really awful and ugly ones. Gospel, not gospel, Google. <laughs> Google Mondegreen moments or misheard lyrics in songs. You'll get some absolute shockers. Um, I wouldn't put the videos up on screen there. But it's, it's easy to mishear. And people mishear us in our agendas. They mishear us as gospel-bringing people. They mishear us as God's people and they even mishear the gospel. They'll, they'll hear that God is angry, God is judgmental. But the thing is, that, that, actually, that doesn't mean that they're closed. We think, oh, that one, we won't share the gospel with those. But often we're mishearing what they're saying and they're mishearing of the gospel as well. That same person who says God is angry and judgmental may well be someone who's desperate to be accepted and longing for someone to prove them wrong. So as we said last week, we need to be in prayer so that when we're listening, we're hearing what the Lord's saying about these people who may well be people of peace. Maybe they've misheard God's words and hearing a single sentence of judgment, but, but out of context, and they haven't heard all the other uh, stories and words of redemption and a path to life that God offers. And so what we know about evangelism uh, is that it's essentially at its best, it's relational. It's not the bullhorn on the corner proclaiming out words that people don't understand out of context of relationship. People can still do that and you'll hear exceptional stories of of people coming to faith. That doesn't justify doing something that I don't think really works these days in our culture. But a, a relational context where it comes through someone that you know and trust is completely different. And because listening builds a bridge. Listening builds a bridge to another person's heart. It gives you understanding of where they're at and it gives them trust that you actually care about them. So listening becomes a game changer. And and Jesus did it as part of his practice. He would stop for the one and then often you'll see the first thing he does is listen. Have a look at some of these on screen. Uh, Luke 18. You see there that... uh, a man's been brought to him. Oh, he was walking through, just going through again as we heard last week and, and this guy's crying out. And so he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus could have, he could have told him what's wrong with his life. He knows all about you and I. He doesn't need to ask the question. He could solve all of his problems all at once. But he took the time in his first moment to say, what is it that you want me to do? In Jesus' head, there might have been a list of 25 important things that would have been more important than receiving his sight. But what do, you, what do you want me to do? And he took the time just to stop and listen. What about the pool of Bethesda, where we see the situation where the, the guy's been an invalid for 38 years. But Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? What an interesting question. Well, of course he wants to get well, we would think. But again, Jesus sees the whole scroll behind the scenes. What, is, what does this guy really want? He may not want to get well because in that culture, that's his income. He, he hasn't got any other support structures in his life. This is how he earns his living and how he buys his food and so on. Maybe he doesn't want to get out of that bind. And so he asks him the question, 
do you actually really want to get well? He doesn't start, well, let me tell you how I will fix your life. But that's often how we start a conversation. When we're trying to share the goodness that God's given in our life, we'll, we'll start with a fo- the pointed finger, let me tell you what's wrong with your life and how I know what's right. And it's not the posture that gets us there. We had to learn this, um, uh, someone was talking about our escapades in Africa that we've done over the years. And in Africa, we had to really learn this when we're trying to be do-gooders. They call, they call people like me do-gooders over there. Uh, we've come with an agenda to help, you know, good heart. But often what we do is we want to impose what we think is doing good. And so we, would, we, we bought a farm once for some people in a community. We, were, we bought a, a self-sustaining chicken and poultry, uh, poultry and pig farm. We thought, what a great way for people to create an income and be self-sustaining and all that. So we did the whole thing and it fell flat. It never got started, even after we paid all the money because it, it wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they knew how to do. It wasn't the way their community worked. It wasn't the way they thought. We think like Westerners, they thought incredibly different. So it, what we were doing was dishonouring them. We were disrespecting them by imposing upon them our opinion before we heard what it was they really wanted. And so when it, when it comes to evangelism, it doesn't need to be three points on how to share the gospel. We're representing Christ, representing him. So our posture, our manner, needs to present what Christ would do if he was in this situation. And part of that becomes honouring people where they're at. And there are different levels of listening, and, and uh, you may know about these. Some of them are very simple, where it's just uh, sharing information. It's, it's, a, it's a data transfer. Listening is just, okay, I've got that information, off I go. That's the most shallow form of listening. Sometimes we think our calling in, in listening is, to, is transactional. I listen, and then I've got the right to respond. But it doesn't, that's not the deepest level of listening. That's, we feel obligated to give someone an answer, uh, obligated to give an opinion. But the deepest form of listening is what we would call understanding. Where not only am I hearing them, often I'm listening to the person whose values and judgments that they're proclaiming with the top of their lungs stand directly opposed to that which I would proclaim at the top of mine. But taking the time to honour them as a human being and listening and seeking to understand how they got to that point to walk in their shoes, to comprehend. So not just digesting it, but feeding back. Is, am I right in understanding this is what you're saying and not stopping until you've heard them reply and say, yes, that's exactly what I mean. This is my heart. This is how I work. And this is what matters to me. And so scripture talks a lot about those who are ever hearing but never understanding and it's not in a positive light. This sort of listening requires us to process uh, and to seek to interpret the information, not pour our judgments on it. It's to understand, not necessarily respond. To ask questions like, so are you saying X, Y, Z? You know, sometimes it's the greatest blessing we can have to someone is to actually listen to them. And that's Christian, non-Christian, whoever it is. Sometimes that's the best thing that we can do. David Osberger wrote a great book called Caring Enough to Hear and Be Heard. And he's given a well-often quoted section where he says, being heard is as close to being loved that for the average person, it's almost indistinguishable. And it's interesting that Jesus took that tack and that we should as well. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing for those two examples we just gave is not that they were healed. The most important thing is that they knew they were loved. And that's the most important message and the primary message that we bring is love. God is love. 
It's vital that those who we engage with know that they are loved as well because people won't care about what you know about God unless they know that you care about them. This is the way it works in our culture. So some principles to help there. How do we listen? Um, I don't know. You'd have to take notes to, to remember these, but they all start with P, if that helps. Pay attention. It requires attention. Don't be looking over people's shoulder. Don't have a meeting and put the phone face up on the, on the table. Who hates that? You're talking away, suddenly bzz, bzz, light comes on, you see their eyes go, I won't take that. Oh, thank you for that. Put the phone face down if you have to have it, or put it in your pocket, just get it away because the person you're with is the person we need to be with. So pay attention. Second P is pontificate, but don't pontificate. Put pontificate with an extra. Don't pontificate. Don't tell people what to do. Don't feel compelled to give advice unless people ask for it. And if they ask for it, think twice. Most people would rather be understood than have an opinion come at them. Don't equate, you know what it's like when people tell you their experience, they go, oh, I know what that's like. When that happened to me, I dot, dot, dot. Don't do that. Just listen and try to understand. Don't equate your experience with theirs. Pay attention, don't pontificate, and finally, posture. Have a posture of curiosity and understanding. Now, one of the favourite parts of my job, and it's, a, it's the hardest thing for me to slowly sort of give up, is, it, is the opportunity to meet with everyone who comes to this church and thinking of staying. Um, I, I recognise we're, not, we're not getting as good at this as all, because people are saying, Pat, you need to get out of this space, but, but I love it. I love it. I love sitting down and I'm supposed to be there to help you with your next steps in the church, but I end up asking you three questions and we'll talk for two hours. A lot of you have experienced that because I just want to know you. You'll get to know the church, you'll find a way to get involved in it, but what matters most is that you matter most, especially at that time. And I just enjoy, I love hearing people's stories. So that's often, I'll just ask that one question. Tell me your story. How'd you, how'd you get to be here? What, you know, what are you doing with your life? What does it all mean? And so there's a simple question. If, if you're not a conversationalist, and I, I'm a pretty good one these days, um, just from practice, I guess, but if you're introverted like many of us are, you don't need to be talking a lot. Just care enough to ask a question that really relates to people's lives. And it's amazing what they will tell you. All right, that's the letter L. The next one is E. What do we reckon E stands for? The IQ average here is way too high. You figured that one out. Could it be the knife and fork that did that? Eating. Pray for people, listen to them, and get fat. I don't know. Just, no, just eat. Eat healthy food if you have to. There's just something about eating. Eating is the best place to listen to people because they can't just go, got to go now. No, well, now, you, now you've got to eat. There's just, there's just something about a dynamic of sharing a meal together. And I think I might have mentioned it last week, but um, DUMC Church in Malaysia, I've, I've never seen a church built on food. This church is built on food. And they get about 5,000 people on a Sunday now. And I swear that pastor has had a meal with every person in the church. And every meeting that happens, happens over food. No conversation about anything happens without food being there. Because there's something about this whole idea of breaking bread together. There's something where we're sharing an experience where uh, it just, it's just special. Jesus uh, ate with Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus jumped up and said, I'm giving all my money away. Early Christian meetings were, were talked about, they were breaking bread together, it was fellowship. And in Scripture, we see a really good example with Matthew. Uh, it, it's been coined the phrase, the Matthew dinner over the years, where Matthew, 
Jesus bumps into him and says, hey, follow me, tax collector, I don't care, let's just get it on, you know. And the next thing you know, you see the, the next verse where they're, they're having a meal together in Matthew's house and Matthew's invited all his mates. So all the dodgy characters are in town and there's Matthew and it says, uh, as Jesus went on, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, follow me, like follow me into a meal. And, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at his house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. He just did it around food. It's just a place where we relax. I know this isn't a very spiritual topic, but it's just so practical. If you want to share with your neighbours, if you want to talk with people you don't really know that well, just invite them around for a Matthew party. Just say, let's just get a bunch of people, a third of them I might know, let them invite people I don't know, and let's just meet each other over, some, over a barbecue or a coffee. Let's just do it over a meal. And you find that common ground gets found and it gives you a chance to serve them and you gain the right in that context to ask them all those questions about their life. For Matthew, it was him taking his first steps with God, was bringing people around. And um, Henry Newman had an incredible quote where he did spiritualise this in some extent. He says, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy and closeness. When we say, help yourself, take some more, don't be shy, have another glass, we offer our guests not only our food and drink, but also ourselves. Isn't that true? A spiritual bond grows and we become food and drink for one another. Only Henry Newell could write something like that. This is the benefit of one of the strategies we want to start to bring about in the weeks and months to come. And it's not something where I want to go, let's do a campaign. Woo! It's like, no, let's, let's build a culture of discipleship and evangelism. Let's just let it take, let the tide come up over time. But we want to do it through homes. We want to do it in a way that all of us can do. In the, in the times that really works for us, but if we've got intention about our prayers and intention about our conversations, we'll find moments and we'll find opportunities where we didn't before. My greatest evangelistic moments here happen every day of the week as soon as I walk into that cafe. Oh no, I'm spoilt rotten. I don't have to walk the streets. I just have to walk in there on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's always someone I don't know. There's always a chance to meet someone. And because I'm the pastor, it's like, oh, I'm the pastor here. Do you, are you a Christian? You know, do you go to church? And we just have these great conversations. The next step then is to invite them for a meal or ask them a spiritual question, something really easy and obvious like that. And you'll find the bonds begin to grow. And so we're gonna start giving you tools and, and uh, language and some methods where our homes become a natural friendly, gospel, spirit-filled place where we can just do this in the rhythms of grace and see God work through our lives in, in your life, in normal lives that are busy of so many other things. So what we're going to start with is, um, and this is why I wanted to do this short series through the school holidays, is uh, in first term, uh, third term, I beg your pardon, third term we're going to be talking into prayer and presence and I'm going to be calling the church to pray because if it's just a man-made idea, a man's idea, it's not going to work but if God's at work. So I'd love us just to, to kick the ball and we wanna continue with a, a higher residual level of prayer in our church for the lost and for our communities. But over um, July, August, September, that we would um, come together, that we would be at home, we're gonna give you some tools and some forms where we can come and we can pray, but especially in here, uh, that we're praying for what happens out there, that we're praying for what happens in those streets out there, but we come together and we pray, sometimes through the day, sometimes at night and so on. And then overflowing from that in the fourth quarter, we're just going to see how, what God's doing, how we're all going together. And then a few of our people will start, I don't know who, 
maybe the Lord's talking to you about this right now, in your home, we'll start up a group that might use Alpha as a tool in your home with two or three or five people. Or if you don't think Alpha, if it's too far, that you just start what we call a discovery Bible study where you literally just say, you've invited them to come. It's not bait and switch. You, you say, would you like to come and, and just read a passage of the Bible with me once every week or so? And they come in and you just read a scripture. What does it say to you? What does it say to me? What have we learned from that? Is there someone else you could share this with? Simple as that. But do that intentionally. Because if we just don't do it intentionally, we go, I'll do it if I feel like it. You'll never feel like doing that. It's like you never feel like doing exercise or eating the right food. You never want to do that. It's, it's hard. It's getting harder. Just saying, window to my soul. It's, just, it's getting harder. But I'm determined. It's an intentional part. The same, it's the same with this. Be praying for those so that it's not just, Lord, who do you want me to share the gospel with? It's, Lord, am I hearing you moment by moment through the day as I walk and talk? Are you speaking? And so on. And then taking that next step and say, would you like to come and share with me about the Bible? We'll, we'll do this together. And you'll be surprised at how many people will say yes to that. Over 60% apparently in Australia would come to church or come to something like that if someone would ask them. Over 60%. That's staggering to me. I'm not going to have a show of hands about how long it's been since one of us invited someone to church. Because I know. If we just get intentional, we just get open, if we're just listening to what the Father's saying, His agenda is for them. He loves you. He loves this. He loves them out there just as much. And as a river flows from God's temple, the power of his spirit to work brings freshness to the community that we live in. And so this is the chip we're putting on one number, is that if we're gonna be a church, we can't not be missional. Because if we're not, we're not really a church. If we're gonna be a church, we can't not be discipling you and growing you and challenging you. If we just let you sit We're not being a church. We might as well be a rotary club that's got a cross in the logo. You know what I mean? We're not. We're a spirit-empowered people. He's transforming our life and he longs to transform our society and he's brought us together, this beautiful group of people that that we've become. I don't think I've ever met a more wonderful group of people. I've never enjoyed church as much as I've enjoyed this, but it's not for us alone, is it? It's for those who aren't here as well. And so as God leads us, uh, I'll just pray. My first prayer, I guess, is that you join us. Uh, in prayer together. Give God your best 90 days as we pray together and, and seek his face that he would open doors for us with other people. And so if it's going to get done, it's going to be one-on-one. So we just need to be prepared to stop. So perhaps uh, you may wonder today, well, why has no one been taking your advice? Maybe it's just time to listen. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've been hammering away for weeks and months and years. You think, why don't they listen to me? Maybe that's the person who's so different to you, whose behaviour and lifestyle offends you. Maybe it's your calling to be the one who sits and says, I'm not going to talk, I just want to listen in your life. Maybe God's prompting you with that. So as we close and the band comes up, I just want to pray into that, that the Father would just show us perhaps who those people may be. Because sometimes it's our judgement upon them that stops them becoming a Christian. Sometimes it's our judgement that prohibits the Holy Spirit speaking into their life because we're just speaking death and they need life. So let's pray together. Father, we do pray, first of all, that, Lord, we just pray a, a, just a humble piece of repentance right now, Father, that this hasn't been strong in our heart, perhaps. This hasn't been our main agenda, that the, 
Your last command has not really been our first priority. And so, Lord, as a, as a church, together, without judge, judgment on this, we just pray, Father, just help us to repent of that and turn around to aim a different direction. We can't do it, Lord, in our own strength. The first thing that will come to our mind is we haven't got the margin to do this. But, Father, you give us all that we need all the time for what you have for us to do. So, Lord, lift that burden off our shoulders and I pray, fill us with your spirit, with optimism, with faith that you want to work in people's lives. So much faith, Lord, that we don't need to speak first, but we listen first. But as I'm praying, my, my sense is too that there'll be a number of us here where you think, I just wish someone would listen to me. Just very aware that as, as I talk about this sort of thing, people become aware in their heart that they're not understood. No one really knows you either. And that's not okay. That's not the way it should be. And there can be trauma associated with that. So I just want to bless you today because what we need to know when, in those times where the people around us don't know us or understand us, where the one thing we want is just someone who would just be guarding our back and just be behind us. But all we feel like is the judgment and the opinions of people who don't even know who we are. They haven't taken the time to ask. I just wanna bless you today and say, let's look to God together first. Let's lean into Him first because the Scriptures define Him as the God who sees you, the God who knows you. He knows you and He loves you. He knows you and He understands you. He knows you and He never gives up on you. The judgment that would normally be upon you has been taken off by Jesus on the cross. And perhaps you're someone here who you wouldn't have called yourself a Christian when you walked in here. You're just here, but you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. You need to know that He sees you, that He loves you, and His hands are open towards you for you just to rely on Him, not rely on anything else in life. Because He has paid the price for whatever it is you've done that would go against whatever moral code you think you're living by. And for anything else that comes in the future. It's not like a call to faith, it's a call to perfection straight away. He knows you, He sees you, He created you, He loves you. So Lord, will you breathe that truth into this church, that we are free, we are free indeed, and we are free to give. Father, as we go, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a mouth to say only what you're saying in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Let's have some worship. <laughs>